Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along, everybody, to the Wise Men Say Live podcast in the ISIS Sunderland. Um, a cup final special because... You don't need me to tell you that we're playing in the League Cup final next week, and I'll quickly go along, introduce you all to my panel, though I'm sure they don't really need introducing, but for the benefit of the listeners, I'll go along and do it anyway. At the end, here we have Martin McFadden, editor of A Love Supreme. Martin, all right? Hi, not too bad. How are you? Um, okay. Um, how many Cup finals for you now? Um, Closer to the Not moment? enough. I've been at Wembley four times, and seen us lose four times. Yeah. Yeah. When you sports Sunderland, I'm afraid you need to get used to that kind of thing. Gordon Armstrong sitting next to me, as obviously you all know, and I thought it was, it was fitting that we got Gordon in tonight because of the cup run. Uh, a lot of people go on about the 73 thing, obviously because we won it, but a lot of us who weren't born then, especially us lads who's in our 30s, that 92 cup run was a bit special for us. Shame we fall at, uh, fall at the, fell at the, the final hurdle, but um, Gordon plays part in that. So fond memories, Gordon, from that time? Yeah, most definitely, yeah. Brilliant memories, um Played in a, um, at Wembley three times, and I'll be beaten every time <laughs> there as well. I mercantile credit, I think, which was a bit of a non-event. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, played in a playoff final and in the cup final, and didn't play very well in any of them. But never mind, we uh, we got there anyway. There's a bit of a recurring theme here that people keep going to Wembley and see Sunderland lose, like. But uh, hopefully that'll change next week. And Chris Young from the Sunderland Echo next to me as well. Have you been to see Sunderland at Wembley, Chris? I haven't. I've only no? seen England at Wembley. There you go. Chris has never seen Sunderland lose at Wembley. What can go wrong? <laughs> right. Gareth, of course, from the Wise Men Say podcast is on the end as well. Gareth's been promoted tonight because uh, he's going to join in this time because we actually, we've got a professional ladder come in and do the PA system for us. So I'm sure everybody's over the moon about that. Got nothing good to say, so. Yeah. <laughs> at least the PA is Help me out a little bit, uh, <laughs> Right. Okay. We'll start talking about the Arsenal game first, as we do. With the theme on the podcast every week, we we'll talk about the the game and then the up and coming game. Um, we won't go into the Arsenal game too much. I think Gareth and I have always said about these podcasts, it's easier to talk about Sunderland when we lose games because there's more to discuss and there's more more things to slag the players off about. People like me and Gareth who were, who were never ever going to make professional footballers basically slag off professional footballers and tell them what they should be doing. But uh, when we start winning games, it's it's harder to sort of analyse and dissect things. But the Arsenal game. Seemed like a bit of a write-off. Now, I know a lot of people are saying give credit to Arsenal for the performance, you know, top of the league and all that. Gareth, I know you were sort of a dean of that a lot, saying let's give Arsenal credit. I wasn't, I wasn't so sure. I, I thought they've got one eye. I thought they had one eye on the cup final, commitment-wise, the speed they were closing down players and stuff. I only watched it on the telly. Chris, you were there. What were your thoughts? I, I thought they definitely did. I think probably the manager and some of the players admitted as much afterwards. The players did as well. Yeah. Uh, well, subsequently during the week, certainly. I, th- I, think they, I think when you look at the way they started the game, they were half-hearted, they set off Arsenal, they didn't press them. Um, and, and Arsenal did 
what they do so well. Particularly that, I mean, that third goal was exceptional. Um, but the lack of tracking for the first, the, the second was a gift. The fourth was a gift. You, you can't make it so, that easy for Arsenal at the Emirates. I think it's it's an easy thing for journalists and football fans and pubs and that to sit to say to watch, sit and watch a game and say, oh, okay, the, the players have got one eye in the final. Players, I mean, Chris has just said that the players sort of admitted it, but generally players would never admit that kind of thing. Gordon, your next player, can you um, shed some light on that? Put put us in that position yourself. You, if you if you think you're going to be a definite starter in a cup final, and you're playing against a side you're probably going to lose against anywhere. Would you just be thinking, keep a score down, don't get injured, that kind of thing? Be honest? No, I, I mean, I don't think there'll be too many lads in that team that know 100% that they're playing. I think they'll be the centre-halves, the goalkeeper, um, full-backs. Other than that, I think midfield, obviously Johnson will play. Um, so yeah, still lads will be playing a little bit for the places. Um, I don't think they will, will it on it. It's just that I think sometimes when you, if it won 4-1, you, we wouldn't have said that, would they? Um, Arsenal are a fantastic side. Uh, it's always going to be a difficult game. There's no doubt about that. But it's probably more than anything. It's just an easy excuse. It's an excuse to use because you've been hammered at the end of the day, and it fits. It fits what everybody thinks. Um, I don't think if you if you're a professional player and you're going out at Arsenal, you should not need winding up and 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 motivating for that game. I really don't. Right. Conflicting opinions out. Martin, were you happy with the application of the players? Um, well, obviously not because we're lost. But um, I think. Arsenal obviously got off to a really good start, which is something we need to be careful of on Sunday. And I think once you're playing against great teams like that and they're a goal ahead and you're chasing the game, then it's pretty difficult to come back against. You know, um, we didn't start off well and and you know, but they scored early on, and then and then obviously we gifted them goals as well. Um, in hindsight, when I've watched it again, you know, we didn't close down players quick enough. But I think Arsenal were like played excellently on the day, and they are a great team, which is why they're in the the position that, that they are. I mean, as I, say, I, I watch on the, on the telly, but nobody's going to convince me that the players wouldn't have perhaps closed things down quicker and tried to be more um, try to be more efficient on the counter-attack, perhaps. Gareth, we said straight away, though, this is a game you just write off, isn't it? I mean, we always say we need to concentrate on league form and the like. However, when a cup final is on the horizon, you just write this off, don't you? Um, it's not. You, I know you, you were keen to give credit to Arsenal, aren't you? Yeah, Which yeah. is fair enough. And like I said, if this was just going to Norwich and losing four-one, there would be a lot more to debate about. Yeah, but then, did you write the Everton game off on Boxing Day? Oh no, no, Chris, I know where you come from. Yeah, let's let's not turn around on me, <laughs> Gareth. Uh, I'm not. I'm not really a big big advocate of the the writing games off thing. Personally, you know, <clears throat> like each game is is there to be one, especially when you're battling against relegation. I know a lot of people would probably take cup success over the uh, the league. Uh, position regardless um, but you know like comments about Catamore and stuff I've left him out because of Marino or whatever you know that's you know by the by but you know personally I would have brought Catamore in because I think you've got to win that you've got to try and win the game you've got to give yourself the best possible opportunity you can I think he might have been the appropriate player in that environment but yeah I'd, 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 I see what you're saying about writing it off afterwards but I don't think you should be. I didn't mean before. Games, I didn't mean afterwards. Yeah. Hey, look at the result. I didn't mean before the yeah. game. Let's write yeah, the yeah, game yeah. off. Yeah, well, I, didn't, yeah. no. I, think, I think it's interesting on Catamore though, because Poet himself clearly had half an eye on Wembley by by leaving Catamore yeah. out of, out of the squad entirely. He said as much before, didn't he? That he was worried about Marin yeah. sending him off. Wasn't mm. he? But yeah, I think at Arsenal. I think the first goal and the third goal. I mean, there's some comments about the closing down for the first goal, but I thought that was a touch harsh because the, the I think Alonso and the, they went to the went to the. Um, Player who passed it into Giroud, I can't remember who it was, but they Wilshire. did go. It was Wilshire, was it? Yeah. So 
you know, the, it was the first one, the third one were excellent goals. I mean, the second one's just, you know, a, an anomaly, an accident. And the, the fourth one was, you know, shocking marking from a corner, which we've seen probably all too many times this season up to now. But, yeah, you know, I thought Arsenal were excellent and, like, we weren't we weren't at our best. And if you're not at your best against all teams, you're going to get marmalised, aren't you? And that's what happened. I think uh, probably Martin put his his finger on it basically more than anything against these top sides you cannot concede early goals if you do that you are in big trouble you know we've got results against City at home here where we've you know we, we little bits and bobs we've had bits of luck or whatever and the goalkeeper's been brilliant but we've defended unbelievably everybody's put the heart and soul into the games I've, I've been to all the City games don't get every game but the last three years we've beaten them because we've put our absolute everything into the game and, and I think you know like I say most important we don't concede on Sunday because that's what we bother about now not the Arsenal game if we do that then then I think we've got a great chance and does that get in your head as well as a player if you I mean to concede a goal an early goal in any game is deflating but when it's against somebody like Arsenal or their players does that automatically sort of think oh god here, here we go yeah, yeah it's human nature isn't it I think you do as a fan you do as a player we're all the same basically at the end of the day we, we, you know, if you're being honest, Arsenal squad's better than ours. If you're being honest, Man City squad's better than ours. But that doesn't mean we can't win the game, and that doesn't mean we haven't got a great chance. Um, but yeah, to go and see the goal against these top teams, you are in trouble. There's no doubt about it. So basically, go and see if Man City score in the first ten minutes, we're going to end up right. <laughs> One person, Gareth, we was we were picking up on the last couple of podcasts was Santiago Virgini. Um <laughs> Kind of uh, one of the things I was saying I was disappointed about the Man City game getting cancelled was because I wanted to see how he coped in a game like that against players, you know, quick thinking players, players who pass and move in and around the area to see how he coped with that because that's what people were telling us he would struggle with. He was on passing, unfortunately, for yeah, that single. That's a thing. But again, we, we, we didn't want to get too carried away about how good he was, so we can't again. We're not going to read too much on that, are we? No, I think you got to. I, I quite like the look of him, but obviously. He had a he had a shocker, didn't he? So how was he, Chris? There, apart from the goal, though, generally he nearly scored a spectacular own goal yeah, as well. That was pretty impressive. Right? He yeah. sliced one just past the post. I th- I, th- I think he showed enough against Southampton in the cup, though, to suggest that he he, he could be a decent player. I think he probably just needs a pre-season. He needs a few months just to learn English as much as anything else. Because you need to be able to communicate in that position, particularly. And it's a good job this was a league game this happened because imagine that being a cup final if he had a play for whatever reason. Well, it was, it was funny David Corner's never recovered from no, that mistake. No, no. It was funny that Poyet said on the eve of the game that he had a decision to make about Brown and Virginia at Wembley. Well, that decision was suddenly <laughs> made, wasn't it? It certainly is. Right now, we're talking about... We're going to come on a sort of who we think might play on Sunday, who we want to play on Sunday. But Martin, there was a couple of players who came on from the bench... Who did who did themselves no harm whatsoever? Jack Arrani, Larson, positive contributions from both. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they had nothing to lose. The game was the game was over. Obviously, Jack Arrani scored. Um, I think if he, I would have liked to see him play Barini up front at some point on his like with maybe Jack Arrani and Johnson behind him. But I think it's too risky to try it on Sunday for the first time. Um, I think the way Altidore's played. We were talking about this before. The, the way Altidore's played, obviously. Against Newcastle, he showed what he could do, but his goals returns shit. And uh, <laughs> and like Fletcher's been playing half fit or half can't be asked. Um, so I don't think he's like that happy with either. Are we allowed to swear on this, by the way? Yeah, you are now. <laughs> no. Yeah, just don't go overboard. Okay, sorry, folks. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think you'll take too many risks. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Larson's in the midfield three. 
That's an interesting. Even though th- everyone hates y- him. Well, no, we, we, we'll bring we'll bring that up now because I think right, Chris, you've spoken to Gus this week, and he's, he said I think after the Arsenal game, it was natural for him to sort of say, I've, "I have to have a rethink here." You know, such was so disappointing was the performance and the result. But I think we all realised, we all thought that you know, once he'd calmed down and start reflecting on things, he's going to keep the nucleus of the side together that's played in the recent couple of months because. Th- Basically, you know, it's the first time in a couple of years we've had a, some sort of consistent team that looked good. When it comes to, he said, did he say you nine players? He said not, he knows nine of his team, yeah. Right, so I think it's safe to say Larson, Stroke, Callback, maybe. Yeah, I think then, so, yeah. And then who he's going to play up front? I, I, that's what I think, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to ask people now who they think with the Larson and Callback thing because, again, in, in, in recent weeks on the, on the podcast, we've, we've sort of... Re- Put Larson to one side, went for callback, but Larson came on and a positive contribution. You're on the in the Larson camp now, Gareth, aren't you? Yeah, I'd go with I'd go with Larson. I think he just gives you that, you know, that drive. I think he does the like I've said before on the pod. If anyone's listened before that, he, I think he does the dirty things quite well. Like he, you know, he's a bit of an unsung hero in the good games that he has. Um, I think he, you know, does a you know drops into spaces and sort of covers and. You know, I think in those games, the kind of games that we're going to play on Sunday, I think he's the ideal sort of player. It would be harsh on callback because he's been pretty good recently. But you know, I mean, callback's been inconsistent as well for long periods, and as inconsistent as Larson's been, as inconsistent as Gardner's been. So I, I, I see no. I, I don't think it would be a massive shock if Larson was in personally, and that's who I'd pick. Where we put Colback Gordon as a player because a lot of people say about Seb Larson that he's a he's a reactive player rather than a proactive player. So, like I was saying, Man City would be, be the ideal game for him to play because he's he's good. You know, he does the dirty work off the ball, and then he's capable of doing something when he gets it. So where's Colback with that? Because he he isn't exactly he, one thing people will say about Jack Colback when you say like what's Jack Colback's qualities? His ball retention yeah. against Manchester City. Would you rather have that, or would you rather have somebody like Larson who's going to try and win the ball back for you? Where it's a bit of a tricky one to judge. Yeah, I think it is quite. It would be a close call, I would think. Yeah, I'd, I'd put also put Gardner in there with a little bit of chance. I know he hasn't done well overall. A lot of people would probably say what Martin said before about him about Larson, but um, but the one thing I think we lack from the middle of the park is we've got lads who will have a go. Physically, they're not the strongest, but they're all too similar. And, and at the end of the day, I would love for somebody that could get us a goal. We, we haven't got anybody up front that's scoring. Uh, the only one that's really scoring for him is Adam, Adam Johnson. So I, I just think Gardner can get you to go. Uh, he's got a shot. He, he likes to shoot too much at times. But he, he has. There, we need to get a goal from somewhere. Uh, if it isn't going to come from Adam Johnson, where's it going to come from right now? And I'm not sure where it is. And you'll go for Larson as well, Martin, you said? If Gordon leaves my microphone, leave yeah, I'll <laughs> try my best. <laughs> um I don't know. I'm, I'd be tempted to start with Callback and then and then bring Larson or Gardner on. I think we need to keep it tight for the first mm. half at least. And then I think like Larson or Gardner are more likely to score a goal than Callback. You know, when you get to the point of the game where you do actually need to score. Um, I think the longer we keep it at nil, you know, and just like frustrate them, then the the better. One player we sort of forgot about in recent weeks, Chris Emmanuel Jackarini, um, kind of. Again, in, in, in re- on recent podcasts, we were sort of scratching our heads saying how, how he's just become the sort of forgotten man because um, 
Luke Ball has often said how Kevin, Kevin really rates him when he plays just off a striker. That's not going to happen from with Gus, the way Gus Poyet sets up. Last couple of games, though, he's came on, made an impact. So I, I, I guess when we're saying one of the changes Gus might want to make, is it a case, it's not just a case of Alador or Fletcher, because Barini wants to play up front. Martin touched on the point earlier. Barini, it's a possibility Barini could play up front and Jack Barini could come in on the left. As Martin says, cup finals possibly not a good time to try that sort of thing out. No, but I, I think Sunderland definitely improved when they switched to that in the second half at Arsenal. I think going back to Giacarini, I think Borley's probably the only manager who's actually got the best out of him this season, ironically. Um, I th- I, I, I've got a sneaking suspicion he might go for that with Barini down the middle and Giacarini out wide. When you look at the other two options, Altidore, he's, he's bang out of form and that, that first half display at the, at the Emirates, I, 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 just, I think he's just played himself out of the team. I think it wasn't the fact that he, he, admittedly he didn't get a lot of service, but he didn't win a header either. He didn't really move. He didn't, get, he didn't offer an option. Um, and Fletcher, he, he's not started a game in a month. It's a big gamble, and he wasn't exactly tearing the world apart before he got injured. Barini, he's got a bit of pace. He could stretch Man City's defence. I, I just wonder whether that might be the one that Gus goes for. You've been pushing the Giacarini thing, haven't you? Yeah, well, I was with Barini. I quite like Barini. Why? Because of the his cognitive movement, but... That, that's the thing you lose, though, isn't yeah. it? You, you're tracking back, particularly when you've got Zabaleta... And this, and, this, and this is a big game to try it. I think, I I think, think we've it, all thought it for a while. To, you know, to be to be fair to Barini, he's he's played well enough to deserve an opportunity. And if you know, you, you kind of feel with Barini is, you know, the big occasion. Some, he's a big occasion player. I think you just get that impression from his his attitude. And he's not phased by anything. No, no, like that penalty against Newcastle where he's laughing beforehand was yeah. absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? So, but um, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd give him a go through the middle. Um, I've been a big supporter of Altidore, but I just think the experiments just needs to end. To be to be honest, and uh, I'd push him through the middle and I'd bring in Jack Rini because last two games Jack Rini's been excellent and he's a player who, you know, he's. He's played for Italy in top com- top games, top competitions, or you know, Confederations Cup, whatever you think of it. It's a high level of competition, big games. I'd, I'd wouldn't have any reservations about chucking him in. One thing we can be sure about Martin is that Gus Point will have thought about this. He'll have planned this meticulously, won't he? I hope he's thought about it, like. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but we. How many? I think we're right, okay. Left myself <laughs> open there. I think my point is, often managers, especially British managers, sort of have the way they like to set up their team, then their plan B when they play against a top four side will be defend like your life depends on it and try and catch them on the counter-attack. My point is, since Gus Poyet came, we were all initially worried he was going to try and make our players play in a certain way that they weren't capable of. He brought in naturally. We've seen three or four different formations and systems already with him. So I think... I should have worded it better, but my, my point is that he will have been thinking this, about this for some weeks now, and he's not, he isn't necessarily going to just go how we normally say it week from week. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, and um, I'm quite confident that like, he's the man to sort of to do it if, he can, if anybody can do it, you know, after the last few managers we've had who, you know, without sort of going over old ground, I think tactically he's, he's on a different level to the, to the last three or four managers we've had. Um, he's got us to the cup final, he's... he's He's got us within a sniff of staying up, and we're in the quarterfinals. So I'm happy to happy to let him do his job and decide. Player applications important, or Gordon as well. What, what do you think happened in the '92 thing? Do you think it was the way the 
that maybe Crosby prepared, or do you think the players on the day, or Liverpool were too good, or what would you what would you say? Yeah, at the end of the day, Liverpool were too good. We we did quite well in the first half. We did okay. Um, you know, it was a fairly even game. We had a couple of chances. And John Byrne had a big one, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, John Byrne had a volley and a great chance. Um, not not far off half time, I think something like that. About for about, for about thirty minutes, and if you put that away, it might have been a, a bit of a different game. You got something to hang on to, but. They, they came on the second half and scored early in the second half and changed the whole game and then Jan Molby just basically ran the game. He was fantastic. Like, yeah. Do you think everybody was as prepared as they could have been? Yeah, it was different then. You know, just virtually everybody played four four two, didn't they? There was no sort of... I think the first time I ever came across anything different was probably prior to that was the playoff final where Swindon, uh, Ozzy Ardelis played in a different way. He played a different system that I'd never seen before and we didn't have a clue how to do anything against that neither. They just ran as ragged. Um, but everybody just tended to play four four two. You had two wide players, uh, two central midfield players, two uh, centre forwards, and you flat back four, and that's that's the way it was. And um, and yeah, they just had better players. And at the end of the day, they you know they controlled the second half and won quite comfortably in the end. Back to the final next week, Chris. Could you have imagined in the summer when we, you're talking to Paulo de Canio and I spoke to him a lot that come March? we'd be going into a cup final and probably saying that Lee Catamol would be our most important player? Well, Paolo probably thought he'd get to the final, but no one else would. Um, no, not really. I, 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 thought, I thought both Catamol and Bardsley were goners for sure. Um, but yet we're getting to a point where Gus Poyard is resting Catamol for so he yeah, can play in the final. Yeah. I think part of it was to do with Bridcut as well, who he's obviously a massive fan but of. But he's a new addition as well, I remember. Yeah. So. But I, I think Catamol, Bardsley, he's got, he's got them both on board straight away. And I think that was important. That I mean, whatever the animosity was towards Bardsley for whatever he did off the pitch before Poet arrived, he's a big presence in that dressing room, as is Catamol, as is O'Shea, as is Wes Brown. And he quickly got them all on board and on message. And I think that was very important for him. We speak, Gareth, a lot about when we play Man City to be successful, you know, the close down that space in the important areas Lee Catamol's a guy for that isn't he definitely um, I just think against Man City the, the key areas like, like just the top of your first third so that edge of the 18 yard box and I just think they, they I wouldn't say they run out of ideas I think that's the wrong thing to say because they're, they're a class team but just sometimes when they kind of overcomplicate it and that's when you can nick in get that second ball and I think Catamol's a kind of player who forces the mistake to, to, to get that now. Is Key going to drop in and, and win those second balls? The pair of them together, or whoever it might be, if Larson's in there, Colback's in there, whoever's in there has got to be close enough to Catamol for Catamol. When he gets in there, forces the error, someone's got to pick it up and then he can build. And I think that's, the, that's almost, you know, not to get carried away, but the kind of... I, I saw when Chelsea beat um, Man City at, at, at the Etihad. Obviously, Chelsea are a far better side than we are, but they they, they approached that game in a similar way to a Poirier team. They just had a bit more thrust, and I just think that's the kind of thing that we've got to do. And we might, we're not going to have that thrust that Chelsea have got, but you know, a lot of it's like staying in the game, like we've talked about. And I think Catamol and whoever's alongside him in that deeper role are key to that. The more we talk about it, the more I just keep coming back to the Larson and Colback thing. I'm fascinated by it because we haven't seen you talking about the thrust there and Larson's of his choice, but because we hadn't seen it from Colback before the Newcastle game, and then we saw it. I'd be interested to know 
how people think here. Can I have a show? I'd go for Colback Larson, have a show of hands who you would have starting because I think that's definitely going to be one of the choices. So if you would play Larson, do you want to raise your hand? Oh, dear. So Colback then, <laughs> everybody else. Interesting. Did you see it, Chris, who you thought or not? I'd, I'd go for Colback, yeah. Um, I think, A, I think even at Arsenal in the first half, he's one of the few who was trying to press players and get about Arsenal. The problem was he was doing it on his own. Uh, and the second reason is, if you, rem- if you think back to the game earlier in the season, he was excellent against Yaya Toure, uh, as was ca- as, was, as Catamore been previously against Yaya Toure. And I think th- that might come into play, I think. How important, Gordon, are players like John O'Shea, Wes Brown? I know it seems obvious to say that, but in a dressing room, I'm talking from a player's perspective, players who's been there, done it, they're going to be around to help players, aren't they? Some of the players who, who, who haven't experienced anything like this. Yeah, on both sides, I think I think uh, they're your most important players. I think the four most important players for us, not only in the dressing room, but actually playing on the pitch on on Sunday, will be the goalkeeper, the two centre-halves and Catamall. If they all play well, we've got a great chance, I think. They're, they're, they're our main players, without a shadow of a doubt, because we have to stay in the game. If we stay in the game, we've got a chance, like we said, and they're our boys to do it, to be fair. Catamall's been sensational against Man City in every game that he's played. If he does that again, we've got a great chance because the lad, is, it, there's no doubt about it, the lad's got unbelievable energies. He'll tackle for fun. He's a bit of a Kevin Ball. When he's fit and he's not getting sent off, he's, he's the best player we've got, I think. And he, I think the fans love him and you know he can really rally everybody around, I think. Martin, John O'Shea is another one who sometimes comes in from criticism from the fans, but is he one... You feel happy when, John o, uh, when Wes Brown's alongside him, though. It makes such a big yeah. difference, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always thought O'Shea got a bit of a bad press off the fans, to be honest with you. He hasn't had, like, a great defence to play alongside. You know that he's, like, slow, and you know that he's you know he's, he's not as quick as you'd like him to be, rather. And, and you know that he's not the greatest passer, but he's done all right under Poyet in that system. But I think he's never had a settled defence. He's never had, like, a, a decent centre-half to play alongside, apart from, apart from Wes Brown. But I think if you watch him, like, off the ball, he's organising the team all the time. He is like the leader. He was the captain in my eyes when when Catamore was the captain. Catamore was Catamore was rarely there, unfortunately, because of his injuries and suspensions. You know, and if it, if Catamore had been available for more than fifty percent of the games in his Sunderland career, then it would have been better. But that's like a, a terrible stat that he's got for all the positive things we say about Catamore. He hasn't scored a goal in four seasons. He's he's got one assist, and he's only been available for forty six percent of the games. I mean, that's got to be a massive plus for us, and it? You look at the game, the two centre-halves, you can't have more experience than them two boys have got. You know what I mean? They played in every big game that can be. Uh, you're going into a game like that where we're, you know, we're a little bit on the, a lot of the players in the unknown. You've got them two behind you. They must give you confidence. Like I said, like Martin says, O'Shea's a leader, so is Brown. You know, and then you've got Catamol in front of them giving you a little bit of a shield as well. You know, that must give you great confidence as an outfield player. They know each other's games as well, Gordon, which is yeah. vitally important. They, 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 and they dovetail very well. they got Bardsley as well in there, though, yeah. talking about yeah. experience. I mean, Bardsley played in the League Cup final for... Well, Craig Garner and Larson have won the yeah. League Cup as well. So. But did Bardsley play in there when they beat Wigan 4-0? I Wigan, think, I think he did, didn't he? Yeah. So, you know, but I mean... Well, last well, Bardsley's a funny one because when we did the live podcast before, I'm sure if you were here, um, there was a question, a discussion about Bardsley at the end, and uh, it turned rather sour, like when his name was mentioned. But who would have thought? Eh? He, he's the hero at the moment, and you know, th- like he's going to be a key player on Sunday. Like 
you know, the, the, I mean, O'Shea, I mean, was Bardi this week talking about the fact he's, you know, it's the it's a derby for him. He's been saying, you know, he wants to beat Man City. So, you know, if he fancies, you know, stick one in the top corner from 30 yards and I'd be open to that. <laughs> Before we have the break, I'll just mention a couple of things related to Sunderland away from the final. Just want to know what people think did, um, about uh, Chris Connor Wickham gone out again. Is that four or five managers now? Well, that's the a lot of people are pushing for him to be in the side, but they keep the same man- new managers keep coming in and coming up with the same conclusion. That, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? And they're obviously seeing him every day in training, and they're clearly not being massively impressed. Um, what I would say about Wickham, though, is he's not he's not ever not ever been given a regular run of games in the team. I mean, look at Altidore; he's been given what twenty odd starts in all competitions this season. I think Wickham's had one at Crystal Palace. Am I right? Says it all, doesn't yeah. he? And he, and he? And he scored regularly in the championship. I don't know. I, I just, I just think feel a bit sorry for him that he's never been given that opportunity to really show what he can do. I just think I spoke to Gareth once. I was watching um, a Sheffield Wednesday game on the telly, and there was an occasion when he got the ball out wide, and he kind of just hopefully put the ball in. It didn't beat the first man. It got cleared, and there was no reaction from the crowd whatsoever because of the level he's at now. If that was at the stadium, I like you can't help thinking. You would hear the groans and the boos, perhaps. It, I'm not saying that's right, but that's how, you know, could throw the Premier League. I, th- I think it'd be interesting what happens to him in the summer, uh, because he'll only have 12 months left on his contract. You think his future might depend on whether Sunderland stay up or go down. You think if they go down, then he'll probably be leading the line in the Championship. If they stay up, then do they cash in on him? Is a golf that big, Gordon? Because we're saying he's, n- he's never shown us anything to suggest... He should warrant a place for Sunderland, who, let's face it, aren't one of the Premier League's best teams. Yet, when you look at the Championship sides who are after him, there's a queue, a really long queue, who would of sides who would want him, who would want to take him. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot, a lot in the under 21s and what have you. And he's, I must admit, his attitude, everything doesn't impress me. Um, he just looks like a lad that's got too much too quick. Uh, he's probably been paid too much money far too soon, and. You know, you'd like to see somebody of that size at least be dominant in the air, and he just doesn't do that for me at all. You know, listen, like you say, he probably hasn't been given a fair, you know, fair go. But from what I've seen, I'd be a one for trying to sell him, and I would think I'd almost be certain, even if they do go down, I don't think Gus will keep him. No. Well, we with Conor Wickham for you, Martin. That's an interesting one with Gordon there because I remember after an under-21 game, I think it was when Gus had just came. It was, it was when Gus had just came and suddenly lost 4-0 at Swansea. And then the under-21s played at the stadium. I can't remember who against. And I remember Martin Smith texting me with expletives about Conor Wickham's performance <laughs> and about his attitude. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't heard anything positive about him from people who scout or, or see them train on a day-to-day basis. His attitude stinks. Um, he was out in Newcastle on Friday night getting pissed. Really? Um, yeah. When, as soon as he found out he wasn't playing at Arsenal. Do you mean drunk, Martin? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Merry? I mean, I'd, I'd, love him, I'd love him to be a good player, like every player that we sign, but I think, you know, Steve Bruce admitted he'd only seen him once and then spent 12 million on him. I think we just have to sort of say that. You're only as good as your striker, Steve Bruce keeps saying as well. Somebody well, should remind him that I next mean, time I speak to him. I was delighted when we got, I was, he was one of those players I thought if we can get, like, it would be a fantastic sign to get a player like that. Um, you know, highly rated through the England ranks. You know, he's got a lot of technical ability, but you know, like on the, I was after that Southampton game. I mean, 
when he didn't pass that Everybody ball. Everybody heard you rant on last week's podcast. I'm still <laughs> wrangles, man. I tell you, that that is it's, it's shocking. That that is really it gets worse every time you see it. I know a lot of people see. Didn't mean Auburn this kind of worms. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> no, I just like we've talked about it before. Craig Clark's over there, and when he's been on the pod, we've talked about it. It's lacks. He just like Gordon was saying. I just think he lacks desire. Just for a lad with a big frame. Just doesn't look like he looks like he's more interested in whey protein and haircuts and pug dogs and being a f- professional footballer. And like you say, I just think he's got too like too much too soon. You know, it, it, I just you know just he infuriates us to be honest. And I'm, I like you said, if he was if we got relegated, then he'd be one you'd look at. But aside from that, I'd be keen to leave. And that Chef Wed game you're talking about, you know, Sheffield Wednesday won six nil, and he wasn't even that good. Like I, I just didn't think he was particularly impressive. Like you say, like some of the stuff he does, fifty percent of the things you do in the, you know, in the championship, if they're not very good, you know, what does that say? And I, I just think is there's something. I just something. There's something wrong with him. There's something up with him. His attitude, his mentality is wrong. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say one other thing. He reminds me of somebody, Kevin Kyle. That's who he reminds me of. <laughs> I thought Kyle was. I, I quite like Kyle. I thought he was better. God, you are I getting offensive now. <laughs> exactly, and I, I think Kevin Kyle's better than him. That's what I think. Yeah, I think Kevin Kyle's better than him as well. Going to make this a regular thing on the podcast every week now. Gareth's Who, rant about Conor Wiggum. Kevin Kyle. Yeah, no, <laughs> Gareth's rant about Conor Wiggum. We talk about Bardsley every week. Conor Wiggum's going to be the new one. Just yeah, before yeah. we have our break now as well, want to get people's thoughts on Adam Johnson not getting picked, Chris, today. Uh, we spoke before before we went live here and we are saying we're not surprised, but... It doesn't make it right, does it, really? No, when you no. consider Andros Townsend, no. hasn't done much, has he? No, I, th- I think you, you look at some of the others in that England squad as well. You People like Cleverly, who's completely lacking any confidence. Stephen Colker, who's... Or ability. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Colker at Cardiff, who are leaking goals for fun. Yeah. That's a strange Smalling, one. Smalling, Man United, who are leaking yeah. goals for fun. A couple of Hull players. Well, Hud- Huddleston, for example, yeah. yeah. Gordon, I mean, you yeah. Chris just said there, Colker... Uh, I know this is a Sunderland podcast, but we might as well go on with it. Um, <laughs> Colker not playing when Hull of Curtis Davies playing well for Hull. But the thing about Huddleston as well is he was a Tottenham reserve and he would get a game for England, no problem. He's playing week in, week out for Hull now when he doesn't get a look in. I agree, yeah. That the two players that I would say from Hull's team that, that I would certainly include Huddleston for certain, yeah, because if you obviously going out there it's going to be about keeping the ball it's going to it's a lot of the games are going to be played at altitude and stuff like that if you can't keep the ball you're knackered um, <laughs> last European Championship proved it against Italy um, we played against them Perlows keeping the ball for fun we can't get near it and, and basically alright so we've got Gerard and people like that but he's, his days are a little bit sort of numbered now and I don't think he can play three games in a week not for England I think that was proven in the last championship. Somebody like Huddleston who can keep the ball, is a presence, a good football, as you'll see, for me, would be perfect out there. Back to Adam Johnson, Martin. Can he, can he use his motivation, perhaps? I hope so. But he's one of those people you, you can never really work out, can you, where his head is? Yeah, I mean, hopefully. But I guess if he was playing for England, he might get injured. And I'm, I'm only really interested about Sunderland anyway. So, um, and, and like also, it seems to me that like if you kind Are of... Are you going to Brazil? I am going. I am going to Brazil, but I'm not following England. <laughs> but I, I just, I just feel like if you're down south and you're, and you're playing in London, you've got more chance yeah, of playing for England. It's always been the case. Yeah. Can he use this, Chris? Do you think finally Adam Johnson as motivation? I, d- I don't know. It's difficult to tell with him, isn't it? I mean, you would think you know playing against his former club, he generally does. I mean, 
we all remember the the first leg at home against Man United. Yeah. He was getting a stick from the fans. He got the ball and went on that run, won that penalty. He did. He was, so he was excellent when he came, yeah, in, wasn't he? he? And Man City, he scored against him before as well. So it's a it's a red kind of game, you would hope. It's, it's a stage, a big for, it's stage, a stage yeah. for him, isn't yeah. it? I mean, if he performs, then then he's suddenly back in Hodgson's thinking. But I, I think the problem with him is he's got to he's got to be consistent between now, or certainly between January the first and the end of the season. It's only been what two months really where he showed anything after eighteen months of complete indifference. He, he's got to be on, on a consistent basis. So on the on the subject, cleverly by the way, just curious. I know it's a bit of a biased audience, but um, and it just with a clear head, if if you had the choice, and on Sunday you had cleverly Larson and Colback, would you put cleverly in ahead of Larson and Colback? Anyone? Not a hand in the room. There you go, England international. I might get my boots on. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Too late for Wes Brown. <laughs> get him on the plane. <laughs> Welcome back to part two of the podcast live at the ISIS pub. This is a bit where we let you dictate the content of the show and we're going to get good old Gareth Barker to walk around and let you ask your questions to the panel here. So take it away. Michael White. It's an easy one, two yards away. Do you agree with fans' bad press at Joe's Yaltido's all-round game? And do you think he would score more than... More goals for a top 10 creative team. Gordon? Personally, probably none, no, to be fair to the lad. He just doesn't look like a natural goal scorer, does he? You know, um, you can't fault everything else that he does in his game. He works his socks off. He, he's a good physical presence. He holds it up well. It's just when he gets in front of that goal, you just don't think he's going to score, unfortunately. It's just one of them things. Some, some lads have got it and, and some haven't. And, you know, for all his other attributes, he just doesn't look like a natural goal scorer at all now. So, do you think he holds it up well, man? He does on occasion. You know, he's he's obviously strong, um, but he he needs to add goals to his game as well. You know, um, the only person I've heard, told, I've heard that's told me he was a great player was the policeman who pulled me over in Holland when I was uh, <laughs> speeding on the way to Denmark for pre-season, and uh, <laughs> and he went like, "Yeah, yeah, he's a really good player." Um, but nobody else has said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was with Chris over there. You can, you can vouch for it. <laughs> that, that's a good place to leave that, I think. Yeah. Anybody else got any outdoor opinions? Oh, is that your... Is it, are you Lee Hines? I am, indeed. <laughs> Let him ask it himself, then, yeah. Right, Jez. Um, to all the panellists, um, who would you start up front on Sunday and Why? Basically, comes back to what we were touching on before, whether yeah. he's whether he's he's going to do the Berenia front thing. It's going to be Berenia front or Aladar, isn't it? Who would you go for, Gordon? I, I think what you have to look at is, is, from personal point of view, I probably would do what he's going to do, and he'll stick without the door. I'd be almost certain of that. Um, it's a safety first thing at the end of the day, um, and if we can, like boringly, boringly keep going on about, it, I do. But if you stay in the game and you're still in it after 60 minutes, and we hope we are. We've got a chance, haven't we? You know what I mean. That's that's how it is. And I think you know to take a big risk like that in a game like that. And if it didn't come up, he look, it doesn't doesn't come off. He looks stupid. Um, and I don't think he'd probably be prepared to do that. He'll stick with what he knows, uh, give the boy another chance. And you never know. He, you know he did come out in the Castle game. He did great, didn't he? 
you know. So hopefully a big occasion like that, and we might just might just see something from him we've never seen before, and he might score two or three. I think he'll do that, Chris. You? I, I, I don't know what I. I'd go for Barini personally. Do you think he will, though? I I think it might depend on how fit Fletcher is. I think he'd be tempted to put Fletcher in if there's half a chance that he can get an hour out of him. I'd be surprised. I don't know. I, would, I don't I know. I wouldn't go anywhere near Fletcher at the moment. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't. I wouldn't even put him on the bench. I'm just going to lead in. A... No, but I wouldn't. I, I just don't. I don't. This isn't see... going to evolve into one of a Conor no, McGregor. No, no. I just don't see. I don't see the logic behind it. I, I just. I he, think he's I been think... injured and out of form for about twelve. I think, to 14 I think months. that is his logic, though, is the fact that he he has. He's a goal of, scorer. Yeah, Isn't and he? he's also he's waited now. He obviously wasn't fit before. That's and and he's kept him out for a few weeks. And I think that was probably in the back of his mind that that was half his plan that he might well give Fletcher a go. I'd be a little bit in your on your side. I wouldn't do it, but I'd stick with somebody that's fit and you know there's right physically. Barini. <laughs> anyway, there's a the question here. Nobody wrote the name on it, but sort of leading on from that from the Alta Door thing. Um, spoke about before with Altador and reasons why maybe it hasn't worked out for him. Um, but the question, I don't know who asked it, is, uh, do you think the negative atmosphere at the stadium alight is uh, to blame for Sunderland's poor home form, maybe poor individual performances or for certain players or whoever that may be? It's an interesting one, that, Martin, is it? because in recent years it's there's been a significant difference in away following and home followings, hasn't it? In, I mean, the amount of times I hear away fans... Come up here, I sit in the north stand and they're above me and they're doing my head and I was, you know, doing the whole, you know, generic chance like basically being derogatory towards the Sunland fans and stuff. But it's it's regular where like throughout the Premier League now, isn't it? You, you, there's not many Premier League grounds you go to now that are full of atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think when you've got a poor team, it's easy to criticise the fans, isn't it? You know, um, I think Gordon's probably better to answer that if you. If if he knows how um, having played in a negative atmosphere does it affect the players like going as much as how it, how it, yeah how it does when, when you're actually playing do, do you switch off or can you hear it does it make a difference no it definitely makes a difference I always said that if Sunderland fans were up for it and we got a full I only ever played at Roker Park for Sunderland um, but what I can say is that if Roker Park was full it was a night game it was a special atmosphere it was just something different and it did you did raise your game you did feel differently. And if the fans got behind you, then it was an extra man. There was no doubt about it. And and, and I, don't, I must admit, I I still can't. I still don't get it. I know the stadium's fantastic, all that thing, but I've just never got the stadium. Like I must admit, I've never gone apart from the Everton game in the cup. I've never gone and gone. Wow, that's an unbelievable atmosphere. Have you been to a derby game there yet? Yeah, I've been to a derby game. Yeah, really? that, yeah, I've been. I, I would take that back and probably say when we beat them, Richardson scored a free kick. I would say that was a special atmosphere. And then well, the Burnley game when we went up three <laughs> two, that was pretty good. Yeah, but there, you, there you are. It, he it just pro- said he doesn't go to the mall. I don't go to the mall. I don't, I don't profess to go to every game because I can't because of my job. But but I would say overall, he, it it just disappoints me. I don't know why. But maybe I think with the old so grounds, big. but the fans being close to the pitch and yeah, all that everything, thing. the whole thing. I think the one place in the Premier League that I've been this season, and it's probably because they've just gone up. Palace is the one place where it's bobbing and, it, and it's fresh, it's new or whatever to them fans. And that makes a and difference, doesn't ground. it? Because we, Martin, we're going, we'll go back to. I mean, we've been in the Premier League what was it, six, seven seasons now, like consecutively. And when you think when we first came up and Roy Keane was here, the first couple of seasons, the stadium was a good place to mm. go. Do you think it's just that? sort of complacency and you just get used to being a Premier League side we've never had that as, in my lifetime we've never had that as a son we've of we've never had it so good now. yeah <laughs> and 
I, th- I think I think being a, I always wanted something to be a mid-table, premier top-flight team like in my lifetime. But when it actually happens, it's it's actually quite boring. Um, <laughs> like staying up last game of the season is actually like more exciting. But you don't want to be in the bottom three, the bottom six all season, like we are at the minute. But um, I do think going home and away, paying fifty quid. We were talking about it in the interval, the amount of money that you have to pay to go to matches, and I think it's I think it saps the kind of energy and drive. Like out of football fans and people. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Start feeling negative about the game. Do you think, the, I think as well, Martin, that the, the people think, think because they're paying 30, 40 quid, they, de- they deserve to be entertained as well. Yeah. Uh, and that, That's definitely a big I think, push shift, isn't it? Where well before, you, before you would go and try and create that atmosphere, now you're treated like an entertainment business yeah. almost, and you're, you're turning up saying, come on, Entertain me. I've paid for this. Yes. I think. I think in the past, like you, you could see that players were trying the best at Roger Park. They might not have been good enough, but they were trying the best. But when you see players like Stefan Sessegnon clearly not trying, like it angers people. I just think that the 19-point season killed it at the stadium mm. because yeah. and the 15-point like season. Say, we got it. We got in there. You know, fantastic atmospheres. You know, Thirty-eight thousand in the in the uh, well, the nationwide championship, whatever it was called then, um, and it was great, but. I don't know. I think that that 19 point season just ripped the soul out of it, and I just think after that it was really difficult to get that back. And then the, obviously the 15 point season compounded it. Sorry to go on about that, Mike, but uh, I, I just, that's what I think. And I just think it's never quite recovered from from that. You know, we put the top tier in in the north stand. Um, the start was it 2001? I, I could be it wrong, was, but yeah, uh, it was the second Reed, season yeah. in the Premier yeah. League. Yeah, so and it was full then. So. And and then it just I just think it's dropped off since and I just think that really did, you know, to go from that high under under Reed in, in that four seasons and how fantastic it was. You know, my dad always used to say, you know, like it, it's never normally this good, so enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> Didn't think it would only last for three years. But um but I just think personally that's what I think. Does anyone have any strong opinions on that? Anyone want to say anything? Sorry? Stuart, that's where it went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same. That's the same, same season. The same yeah. with Keane getting uh, Anton and George McCartney for sixteen million or eighteen or wherever it was. The money's just gone, wasted. It's interesting. Yep. Shall we move on? Yep. Oh, I made <laughs> things. The sky, no. The games. I mean, the the kickoffs are hideous. I mean, we've yeah. got Cardiff coming at twelve o'clock yeah. on the twenty seventh. I mean, who's who's going to come from Cardiff? For a twelve o'clock kickoff, the two Southampton games. Mm. There's no atmosphere. There's nobody wants to. Who wants to get up at three o'clock in the morning to watch to travel to a game? 
But Sky it, is absolutely... Wait, the, the television... The, not Sky, BT. The, the, they're, ruin, they're ruling and ruining the game. I, I agree, yeah, totally. Yeah. At the end of the day, they are the gods now in football, and I suppose it's the chicken and the egg that the money wouldn't be in football because of it. But it's catch yeah. twenty-two, isn't it? Yeah, you problem can't for will be though, won't it? When when there's half full grounds on the telly every week, then are you going to be paying umpteen billion quid to to see half full grounds where there's clearly no atmosphere? I think that was one of the problems with with do Syria you, after a long time. Do you think? Time. Well, do you think Chris that sometimes the TV companies have a responsibility because I was annoyed. FA Cup game against Southampton, there was a poor crowd. Now, I, I didn't think for one minute there was going to be a, a good crowd there. No. But what annoyed me was BT, BT Sport then having a go yeah. and saying, crowd's low here today. And you're thinking, well, had you not put the kick-off <laughs> at dinner time at a ridiculous yeah. time, there would have been an extra 7,000. Yeah. When, when are they going to start taking responsibility? Because surely somebody looked at that game, Sunderland Southampton, and put that on a schedule that for a, a dinner time Saturday. They never thought they were going to get a, a great crowd there, surely. They don't care about the crowd, though, do they? They just ter- care about the figures. That, that they'll think, I don't know, umpteen thousand people in Southampton are going to watch that on the telly. Job done. It's in, when we supported Dave Jones on the pod before, who works with Sky, he's a Sunderland fan, but he mentioned that, he said they quite like going up to Sunderland. Sky like to pick Sunderland, apparently, because he says that they usually get a good atmosphere and, and whatnot at the stadium alike, so... I don't know, but you know, it's funny that the BD thing is like, well, some of your television programmes have had 90% less viewers than was at the Stadium of Light for that Southampton game, so I, just, I think I was a ridiculous, well, quite literally, I think Claire Borden's programme literally got about 97 people watched the first one, and that's not exaggerating, so yeah, I, I don't know, that was a bit of a misguided, well, just stupid. A bit of a thought, just a bit of a thoughtless thing. Wasn't yeah, it? and then they kind of went on about it for about three days, trying to justify what they said, but uh, but yeah. But it, it, also on the subject of that as well, as a show of hands, because I, I I was a big advocate of them moving the the fans up to the top deck behind the goal, um, and I still am. I think that's the right thing to do because I think the Everton game that you mentioned, Gordon, I think yeah, that that was a massive factor. That was a massive factor having them all behind and the goal. And you think about the Man United game in the League Cup, the first yeah, round, if they'd been all behind the goal, yeah. um, you know, just as a show of hands, would would anybody move the fans back down behind the goal? No, because I've, I've seen a few. Nobody said it's just us in the north stand who get it, get it from yeah, uh, from well, above. You deserve it, <laughs> right? Okay, um, you deserve it. Not everybody who sits in the north stand. Sorry, don't don't beat me up afterwards. Um, I think is this a question from Tom for Chris? I'll come over, mate. Probably better suited, Chris. Uh, I was just. Looks like they want a director of football, the club, to replace uh, Defanti. I was just wondering either who who it could be or maybe what they're looking for. Uh, I don't think they've decided yet. I think they'll probably wait until the summer. I don't think they're any great rush to replace the uh, Italian ex-agent. Um, I think Gwyn Williams has been mentioned as one possible name, but I think he's probably more likely to come in as sort of a head of scouting role. Um, they've also been mentioned this chap at Hamburg who I don't know very that's, much about that's a name I heard yeah I can't remember Lee something or other Gordon might know just as a show of hands and, and the people in the room who who thinks that it's relevant to have a director of football and who thinks it's irrelevant well, which, one? which one <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't do this often do you, uh, you, you do it, I, I yeah who would have a director of football 
That's why you don't need your guests just chirping up yeah. and saying something. Who wouldn't have a director of football? <laughs> About 50-50, innit? I, th- I think it, it can work if you have the right director of football. Right that, that was the massive problem with Sunderland, I think clearly. It, it's open to interpretation, though, because every director of football has different levels of autonomy at the club. Yeah. So, for example... If they're only there... You've got some big words, by the way, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> he learned that on his teacher training. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to have a go at them, at least put the mic up. <laughs> have, a, have, have a go at them again. Um, but I mean, I, I, I suppose if, the, if they're just coming in to sort of take the weight off the manager, sort of the ad, admin side of yeah. things, you know, because how many times do you hear a manager say, I've been on the phone, I've done nothing but talk to people and the agents on the phone all day. Now, a manager doesn't need to be doing that. Well, I think when you, when you look at West Brom, Dan Ashworth worked really well there as their sort of technical director, I think he was called, and then he left to get the FA last summer. And you, you look at the situation there now, it's all sort of disintegrated. The owner wants to, has had a more hands-on role, and I think the new head of scouting has just left tonight. They, they look in a real mess. So I think it can work if you have the right candidate, but that's the crucial caveat I think, I think the, the key to it all and again is you've got to have a manager who's on side with it and then the manager's got to want somebody in and the manager's got to want to be able to pick that person if the manager doesn't pick that person then they've it's not going to work them, they've got to trust them yeah it's the same as anything if you're working with somebody you've got to be able to trust them and, and trust their judgement what about if the manager's insane <laughs> <laughs> then you've got big problems yeah I think uh, it's a funny one with the director of football. It's, it's used as it's like a polarised thing. It's like people go, well, you know, Defanti came in, he did this, and it didn't work. So that means director of football is rubbish. But no, you know, no one says football managers are rubbish, and we should do away with them because they've made rubbish signings. Because you know, anyone who's spotted something in the last twelve to fifteen years will know that you know cavalcades of managers have come in and you know laced all this cash on players. And the the out the, you know the outlay in success has been you know minimal to zero. I mean, you know since '92 we've been in one cup final, and that's under Gus Boyer who came in after what three technically guess three managers in 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 less than a year. So it comes to, down to how aggressive the system is, doesn't it? But I, th- I just think uh, you know there's personally we've, we've, when we've talked about it on the pod, I think it's more about you know I'd like to see if you're gonna have a director of football. It, it can't just stop there. It's got to go, you know, they've got to be speaking to Kevin Ball. They've got to be saying, we want to play this kind of football with these kinds of players. If they're going to source young players from a board like they have with, uh, or, well, with Barr and um, Carlson, uh, and they've obviously brought in Watmore, in my opinion, they need to be saying, well, do these players fit into the system for the future that we want to play in? And also, do they want to be fitting into the system that we're going to play in in the youth team? Are we going to play, you know, 4 3 3? At every level, all through the club, like that's what I—that's my opinion. On it. I just think, but my, God my, might have a better. My opinion biggest on it. argument to anybody with this Sunderland, and I've said this for years now, is if you want to improve Sunderland Football Club, there's only one way to do it. Right? I have an opinion that you've got to do it from the bottom up, and you've got to start at the bottom. You've got to build an academy and do what Arsenal have done. It'll take time. It won't be perfect, but you've got to have a belief for the football club to play a certain way, play good football. And at least fans will enjoy watching a football and you'll get young players. Go out and spend too much money on young players. Go out and do but do properly. Get people that you trust. Someone like Poyet, who I think is a good judge and a good man. And somebody underneath him and, and other people within the football club that he believes in and start that way. And that is the only way that this football club, my football club, can improve. I, I firmly believe that 110%. It's the only way it'll go forward. Because we can't buy players like Man United buy and Man City and all them. But you can do what Arsenal have done. 
You mm. can do what I think this was part of Short's thinking for appointing Defante in the first place, though. <laughs> a, he'd seen managers spend bucket loads of money from Danny Graham and etc. And he, but he'd all, he, he also wanted to bring wanted this model of bringing in players, polishing them, letting Sides them develop. Sides on the do it on the yeah. In the Premier League. It's this Udinese yeah. model, isn't yeah. it? I think uh, it'd be interesting to know from Gordon actually on, on subject director of football. So I don't know, I don't know what the process was when you signed for clubs. Obviously, a little while ago, and um, no offence, sorry. I, I, I was thinking, you know what? I, I, I processed that before I said it, and thought there's nowhere I can possibly say this in that split second. That's going to sound good, um, but yeah. Um, and then, then you look at Premier Passions, and that's only '96, '97. You see Peter Reid in a room with a kind of a stubby kind of Budweiser, looking through Rossman's books and managing to find Chris Waddle. Well, I got to watch videos of the World Cup '90 and found Chris Waddle, and it would have only taken two minutes. He was a good um, signing, to be fair. Yeah, but we, 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 we could have had Waddle when he was seventeen, though, couldn't we? Yeah, t- yeah. Turned him down. But I, it, it's in, it, it's interesting that you know Reed is probably our most successful manager in recent times, and that's that's the way he went about his business. I'm not saying it's a right or wrong way, but it's just interesting that people. I think it's moved it's on. It's interesting. Right? I mean, that's only that's only fifteen. It, years interesting, ago. really, because he got rid of me. Because that's why he was successful. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there an argument, though, Gordon, that we're talking about the? the systems in place, the academies and stuff, and I've done a bit of football coaching and stuff, and an argument to that theory is that a lot of clubs in the position of somebody like Sunderland, have they got the patience to, to sort of see that through? Because um, often by the time these players get to 17, 18, they would rather go and spend big money, like we've just said, on another player. I mean, there was one occasion, wasn't when Sunderland, that team with Jordan Henderson, Jack Colback, Waghorn was in it. Yeah, we've, d- we've, up, we've done o- really okay out of the academy. Not good enough, I don't think, overall. But the one club that I would say is probably that I'd like to see Sunderland on a model with right now, and I'm not saying they're a bigger club than us, they're not, but they are quite a big big club people don't really realise. You look at Southampton, the players that they produced and what it's brought in the football club, all right, so they've sold a lot of their players, but they won't do it now. The players that they've got, through, got coming through that academy will be top, their top-class players, I'm telling you that but now. again... again the argument when some of these players came through at Southampton, they were League One Championship. Not, yeah. not, not this season, I mean, he's throwing them straight in at 17 18, isn't he? Yeah. Any strong thoughts on that sort of topic? Nobody? Move it's, on then. It's, it's the no, only, no. I'll tell you now, it's the only way I think you can compete anyway. If you want to get to a top level, and I, I think if Southampton keep that team together, which I'm not sure they will, they will compete at the top end of the league for a long time. But the issue you've got again is. Like this gentleman said over here regarding Sky and stuff like that, it's it's every day, all day, twenty four seven. You need to be successful. That's what's drilled in. This this team are doing this. This team are doing that. This team are signing players. This team are in talks with players. And then everyone else is going to other clubs. Going, if you, if you, I want to be signed. I'm not saying it's. I'm I'm just saying that's the mentality. And then it breeds into supporters. They go and you know transfer deadlines. They become this big you know, party, and everyone standing outside, you know, they'll sign anyone on deadline day just to cheer it. Look Not much Stoke, of a party when David Craig you know? stands outside and there's nobody in the academy. It's not like Stoke yeah, where yeah. you get all the fans well, turn up behind. You look at Stoke fans and, you know, they can barely string two words together and they celebrate any player who comes in. So, you know, you know that just goes to show. I just think that's a situation that we're in where people, it's in this, we want it now, we want to win it now culture and that people have seen that at teams like Manchester City, Chelsea, who you know, Man City when we were in the playoff final in '98, they're they're in the uh, division division Two, three essentially three playoff was, yeah. final. So, 
and just shows how quickly the money can turn it around and that's what everyone wants. Everyone wants a success and everyone wants it now. And it, I think it's just in, 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 you know, indicative of the, the general media and stuff like that that's out there and people want it. And I just think, that, I think that's a... I don't say it's a problem. I agree with Gordon that it's going to have to be a slow process and I think that's the case with the director of football. And if we've got one, it's got to be given time. And whether we're on the fan, yeah. Time, that's the thing. But you know, do people have we've the one director of football down already? Right. We're exactly. In six months, yeah. <laughs> um, this is from Mark. Mark, for going. Could someone pass this microphone to Mark, please, and his question? Save us a journey. Uh, this was to uh, to Gordon, really. Um, if Newcastle United were on the same day relegated, went bankrupt, and God willing, exploded, um, which, if any of the, like, you know, which one of their players, if any, would you maybe take for Sunderland? Remy yeah. doesn't play for Newcastle, no, so he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. count. I was just going to say, there's an obvious answer out. Yeah, there's an the obvious one going in it. Yeah, I wouldn't take any of them. I, I, I Certainly not Stephen Taylor. <laughs> Certainly not Stephen Taylor. No, he's shite as Martin. Said. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but Martin said it before. Um, but no, the, no, there's not many now. To be fair, probably the boy, and I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take Newcastle player ever because uh, that's just the way I am. But <laughs> if you if he could move somewhere else and then take him, I'd take, probably take the boy Ben Arthur. He's got something a little bit special. I think. Yeah, Sessignon's better. Was there any? Was any <laughs> Can't get a game for West Brom. Right. Was any sort did, of did Benoff ever played for Newcastle? Has he? Was any sort <laughs> of danger of you being linked with uh, going to Newcastle as a kid, Gordon? Or was it? No, never a chance. No, we, me, and probably most people don't know, but me and Martin brought up together. We lived in in Gosforth and went to school together. I'm obviously a lot younger than him, you know what I mean. But uh, we were actually in the same class and everything together, so. We were Mackhams in Newcastle, so no, there was never any chance I was going to sign for Newcastle, ever. Was there ever a question, though? Were you ever yeah, I, I could have gone, yeah, I could have gone for a trial and stuff, yeah, but uh, I wouldn't sign for that shite, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to leave that one yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this is, a, but this is a long way at the back, I'll walk over. Give us some filler, Steve. Say something yeah, interesting. I'd, ra- I'd rather the awkward silence everybody watching. Yeah, yeah. Think of the listener. Think of the listener. Play that awkward music. Craig. Clark, who, if you've ever listened to the podcast before, you'll know that Craig's contributed uh, readily. Uh, was once compared to Lee Clark in his vocal styling, so... It's up with, you it's know, up what, with Burn. It's you know, it'll be interesting to see what T-shirt he's wearing on Sunday. <laughs> Craig's the one who brought uh, Phil Bards up at the last live podcast, so you... I've got no doubt this is going to be something Deliberate controversial as well. Uh, He's not spotty neither. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, with regard to Sunday, actually, uh, what do people think of the uh, ticket distribution? Obviously, season ticket holders were well looked after. Which Here we go. Pretty, re- pretty reasonable. So However, the, phase, the, the missing phase three, which seems to have basically gone to, mm, we don't really want to deal with it, so we're going to give them out a various corporate partners and let them dish the tickets out and I know of a few people who possibly have never attended a game who might be making a trip on Sunday and you think mm, doesn't seem quite right I just wondered about how other people felt about that I don't even know who to ask that Martin I'm going to put that on your lap well we had a woman in ALS today booking the, the coach down to Wembley 
who told me it was the first time she'd ever gone to a football match in her life. She wasn't a Sunderland fan. Her son was, but he'd never been to a match. And where she worked, had been given 50 tickets, and the other 48 were sold in the black market for 300 quid. So I wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like to give my opinion on the distribution, but that was a conversation I had this afternoon. I don't really know what to say without opening a can of worms here. Gareth, have you got an opinion? Don't offend the 50 people who were sitting in the back who got tickets from EDF. <laughs> <laughs> is that the? <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't know who to ask about yeah, it. Is anyone really got any? Put, you know, I'm not really going to ask Chris that. A few. Fair, so. oh, right, I've got to go all the way back over there now. Stephen, get that joke out. Which joke? <laughs> <laughs> the joke music. I said when you were walking. Yeah, the yeah. Like the trombone, a Family Guy when the fat guy walks about. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Interesting about harsh. ticket distribution. I was a steward for Travel Club in 1985 for the Milk Cup final. I sat on that bus with none of my mates, no beer, and I had a right boring time. <laughs> after, after the match, a bloke who got his ticket by being a member of the Travel Club says, Here, son. He insulted me by calling us son, even though I was younger than him. And he says to me, he says, Who will play next week? I've just been telling the lads here, we played Chelsea the week after the Milk Cup final. We had 65,000 at Wembley, if not more. And the, 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 the week after, we played Chelsea at home, and we had 13,000 there. These, these tickets distribution has gone on for years and will, will do forever. So I just wanted to say, whoever gets tickets, gets tickets. But he annoyed me. <laughs> Gareth, just stay there in case you've got to go to the back again. All right, next okay, question. I'll, I'll light her over. You, 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 were, you were going to come to the front there. But I, well, I've, I've had a. It's all about the shuttle runs. Keep going. I mean, I've, I've had a stress on you know. Every, I'm sure everyone in the room is in the same situation where they've got mates who want tickets who haven't got tickets, or they've got the opportunity to get tickets for mates who want tickets. Um, and it's been a right stress on. I think the club, you know, it's a difficult one. Hands might be tied in some respects, but I just think the start of the process personally that there could have been a bit more transparency in the fact that the phase three was probably unlikely and the fact that 31,500 tickets probably weren't available to Sunderland, fo- to, to Sunderland supporters it was probably more on the region of what the 25, 26,000 season ticket holders that we've got and I think it just clarifies it people know where they stand but I think I don't know what other, if there's anybody else got any strong opinions on that or no, wasn't as controversial as last time, Craig. Forever. Very poor that. Oh, right. Oh, you've got. Is this your? This is this is Sean. Is it? Does it follow on to your question by any chance, Sean? I ju- I'll just read it out because I can't bother to come over. Um, <laughs> says, <laughs> does anyone have any spare tickets for the final? <laughs> <laughs> anyone? Show hands. No, you get them snapped off if you did. Uh, yeah, been that on the floor. Um, I don't want you to train ticket, Richard. Um, <laughs> this was from uh, Lee. Do you want to read your question, Lee? Uh, yeah. So my question was for Gordon. Um, it goes back to the early 90s. Um, so two great goalkeepers, uh, Tony Norman and uh, Tim Carter. Which one did you feel safer with? Uh, probably with Tony, yeah, to be fair. Tim was my big friend, and unfortunately, as everybody knows, he committed suicide and... Uh, which was horrific. Um, I was his best man, so that was horrible. But um, 
but yeah, as a goalkeeper, Tony was uh, was was very very good. He didn't like crosses too much, Tony. But other than that, he was probably as good a goalkeeper as a what shot stop, and he was brilliant. Like yeah, so I would say Tony. Yeah, stay on that on that theme now. So they, these are some questions we haven't people people haven't put their names on. Question for Gordon. This is another. Who would you rather? And this one says, who would win in a fight out of Paul Lemon or Billy Whitehurst? <laughs> Is that a question? That's the question there. Funny enough, I seen Paul Lemon about two weeks ago. I don't think he wanted to run into Billy Whitehurst, though, to be fair. Um, I think Billy Whitehurst might just have won that, considering I seen him about five bounces one night trying to kick seven colours out of him, and they came off worse, to be honest. So I wouldn't worry too much about Billy. Was that no. in Annabelle's, was it? No, was he the, what was he the one around the corner? What was that called? Well, I can't remember now. I think he... No, it, was, it might have been, it might have been Q Club Chambers. That's where it was. Chambers, I, he got done for something else in there. I won't mention because there's a lady here. But uh, <laughs> it was in the toilet. Yeah, that's right. I. Um, I don't know if this is a question for Martin. A question from Martin. Did a Martin ask a question? Ask it yourself. You can read that. Uh, if we'd been playing Newcastle last week instead of Arsenal, do you think the manager and the players would have took the game differently? I think they would have had to, wouldn't they? Um, I think obviously whenever you play Newcastle, it's 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 going to be like a massive game, and a, and that was one of the sort of criticisms that that Steve Bruce had that we never kind of showed up under him um, against Newcastle. So we would have had to, you know. But um, I still I still think although we lost four one against Arsenal, it wasn't as bad as what you know it, it possibly could have been. You know, I think. It, if Catamol had played, he could have got sent off because that's always a possibility. And then, obviously, Bridcut's cup tied. So I think he made those decisions like for the right reasons and we got off to a terrible start. But it's... I mean, the week before the cup final in 85, we played Norwich and we beat, played them off the park and beat them 3-1. And then we went down to Wembley, like, confident. I think you sneaked on the bus, didn't you? Did yeah. you? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... Um, and then obviously we were rubbish against them, so I think reading too much into the, the game before the cup final, as history showed, is, uh, isn't. Yeah, that's probably true because Davy Corner played the week before, and he, he, was he, right, wasn't he? yeah, he played great. Yeah, and then and then he gave the goal away, which he gets reminded about everywhere he goes. So. Do you think uh, if we'd played Newcastle last week, would have beat them three 0 Six nil. Oh, okay, fair enough. I'd have a question here. Uh, before I start asking Gordon the generic ones, if anybody, I was I was going to drive at this myself earlier on, but uh, it's a decent question. Does anybody instinctively think there might be a, a hero on Cup Final Day? Could anybody be a hero, Chris? Is anybody in your mind who could go on? I mean, it's usually someone it's, unusual, though, isn't it? I've had Jackarini in my mind mm. for ages. Maybe is, right it, maybe is it impact? Yeah, yeah, maybe a Barzi again. Maybe someone from a set piece. Yeah, that's what I'd fancy. Somebody from a set piece. Yeah, Wes Brown. Aye, Wes Brown, yeah. Alador. Absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, it would be nice for Alador to do it, though, wouldn't it? Bring back and die. Get him on. Yeah. <laughs> Say what, Alonso, you know, te- from a technical quality perspective, is fantastic, you know? Like, yeah. Take anything. Right. Take anything. I was expect that's the last of the questions we've got on on current affairs and stuff. I was expecting a few more sort of generic questions to go on. You know the typical well, the typical questions sort of best player against best player with and stuff. So if anyone's got any questions there, like that's just raise your hand and go and go around. 
but while people are doing that, I suppose what we about we can start with them obvious ones. What about you know? You've got to talk about it. The header, ninety-two Chelsea. Right, talk about talk it, about that. <laughs> All Gareth wants you to talk about it No problem All I'd like to say is right. I didn't have a perm Right, That's all I want to say <laughs> That's normally what I get asked When I come to one of these He's isn't? actually crap in the air When he was a kid as well And then all of a sudden You score that That's not true Martin That's not true <laughs> No <laughs> Or they're not uh, I get asked about it Even now Yeah, It's probably the one question That I do get asked all the time And it, it it was just a special night. It was just one of them nights we, um, like I said, Roker Park, uh, full house, night game. It was special anyway. And then, you know, we'd done brilliantly. We, um, it was a really tough game, 1-0 up. And they, uh, the lads, the younger ones that might not know, but they equalised with seven or eight minutes to go. Dennis Wise, wasn't Little it? Little, sh- yeah, what <laughs> <laughs> he come in, he actually come in the best part. Was he come in the players' bar? And he got ch- one of the lads chucked him out the players' bar because he started whinging and, m- and whining on, so somebody chucked him out the players' bar. Can physically. you elaborate and tell, tell us who it was? I don't know who it was, no. I don't know exactly who it was. It, was, no, it wasn't one of the lads. It was a, one of the stewards or something actually started back getting shirted. Yeah. Can, can we not just say that it was John Kerr? It was John Kerr, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. No. no. Billy wasn't there then. No, Billy would have just he would have killed him. Right? He wouldn't have uh, chucked him out. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a special night and, and lovely to score a goal like that to, to win a game. Um, fantastic, yeah. So, were you, all good. Were you, uh, we were talking before... We, the mics came on there. Was saying there was interest in you from Southampton, Norwich, possibly. Was that before that or after? Um, that's a good question. It's a long time ago. I think uh, it was around about that time, anyway. Yeah, I think probably Norwich was before that, and then Southampton was probably a little bit after that. Yeah, something like that. It went. Yeah, uh, both with yeah. about at the time it was about a million quid. Yeah, well, either those close to happening. Uh, Southampton was really close, yeah, but Mr. Murray, um, being Mr. Murray, decided that I wasn't going, yeah, so, um, so yeah, I didn't go. How do you prepare for something like that then? Did you sort of, were you half prepared to make the move and start looking about for... Um, yeah, sort of, yeah, planning. I mean, it was, it, was all, it was all basically done and he pulled the plug on it in the last minute and, um, you know, it was just one of them things, it, it was football, I love Sunderland, never asked to go, never, want, never ever broke a contract anywhere I went, so, you know, it didn't kill me, it was... It was the fact that um, the one thing that did kill me with Sunderland Football Club was Mr. Murray because he, he wasn't my favourite person in the world, shall we say. Did Martin never drive you away? No, I never <laughs> ever, no, no. Martin's as good as gold time. No, yeah. I, I should explain a little bit on Mr. Murray. Basically, why I've, why I've fallen out with him is because he promised me, he, he one time promised me, he, well, he always said to me that if I ever needed anything the whole time I was there, that I only ever had to ring him, sort stuff out with him. No problem. All. And I never rang him the whole time I was there. Played 400 and dot games or whatever it was. At one time, tried to ring him about a contract and I rang him about 20 times and never answered me phone call once. So that's why I fell out with Mr. Murray. Yeah. So that sort of says something about somebody. Maybe his secretary wasn't there to answer the phone or something. On Sunday, obviously, cup final in different Wembley now, obviously. But remember reading in Roy Keane's book about all the fact he said... Uh, that he didn't really like playing at Wembley. He said it was, you know, vacuous and you were too far away from the supporters and didn't really, didn't really feel it. I mean, you played there. What, what, what were your thoughts? What was it like? I mean, it's a, the thing isn't that every kid's dream to play at Wembley and all that, whatever it may be. I mean, what was your, what were your thoughts on that? 
What was his yeah, feelings like? I'm different to Mr. Keane. I didn't win, though, you know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I didn't enjoy it much myself, I must admit. I hated the pitch. The pitch was like a... I don't know now, but that when I played, it was like a big sponge. It was like playing on a sponge. You just felt like it was sucking the life out of you. Um, and, I, and I must admit, I hated it. I actually hated Wembley, yeah. Um, <laughs> But like I say, the other side was we didn't win neither, so that's a, you know it's a horrible experience to go there. Great to get there and all that sort of thing, but to lose it, it it's horrific. Like yeah, I can't believe that nobody's sort of written a question down when we've got next footballer here. Sort of best player you've played against, best player you've played with, worst game, best game. So I'm just going to ask you them four questions. <laughs> Uh, yeah, once, at yeah. once, yeah. Best player I played against, Brian Robson. He was my hero anyway, but he was just a fantastic player. He just had everything. Uh, if he did, he had a few too many injuries, maybe, but you know, he was just, he played in my position, he was left footed, was a Geordie, um, which I suppose you, all, everybody was sort of against, but I'm, I'm a Geordie as well. I was going to say, you support Geordies here, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he supported Newcastle, obviously, I didn't. But, um, and the best player I played with would be Paul Bracewell. Um, fat, fantastic player if he hadn't have been injured the way he was and, and again that was Billy Whitehurst to be fair I almost killed him <laughs> in playing for Newcastle um, he you know he would have been some player to, a top top player and, and you know he was he really had to look after himself to even turn up on a Saturday you know he didn't train much or anything like that uh, he was two footed an unbelievable football brain bit of a prat like but a great player best game would that be the playoff Newcastle game is that an obvious one yeah I think so I think probably that was, that was the highlight of my career going there as a as a Geordie boy and, and winning in Newcastle after they thought they'd already won it when, when they drew it out place they virtually said so in all the local press and everything that, that was a game done as far as they were concerned to go there and stuff them and play them off the park that was like you know that was the ultimate for me the only thing that we're missing from that was to score there never scored there scored here but it didn't count because they beat us but um that was the one thing I would have, like I always said, if I'd have scored the winner at the Gallagher end, that would have, that would have made me life like, yeah. But <laughs> never happened. Anybody from the floor got any questions for Gordon before we wrap it up? It would be one at the back, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Awkward people coming in here. Uh, going back to a point you made earlier regarding Conor Wickham. Sorry, Gareth. Oh, Gareth. Got to set Gareth off here. You mentioned that you don't think he's got much of a good attitude. Is that your opinion, or is that something you've heard from Kevin Ball? I don't know if you no, it's my own opinion. I wouldn't. I wouldn't voice anybody else's opinion other than my own. I, to be honest, um, I've spoke. You know, I speak to people and they'll express their opinions. But I'm just giving you mine. I've seen him a lot. My son played at the academy, so played in the under twenty ones a lot. So I've probably seen him play live eight or nine times in under twenty one games, and and. I've seen nothing at all that I can even, you know, say, look, there's something to grab hold of there. He might just be a player in time. I just haven't seen anything at all. He's six foot four. He's not aggressive. It's a talent or application, though, Gordon? I think it's both. I really do. I don't think he's got a lot of talent, and I don't think he's got the right attitude. So it's a bad combination, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't stop people from playing for Sunderland, though, to be fair. No, that's right. <laughs> I, and it, like you said, I mean, it doesn't stop a lot of players, players from getting on either. You look at somebody like Robbie Savage, people like that, they like, weren't brilliantly talented or anything like that, but they had an unbelievable attitude towards football and they made a living out and you have to hold their hand up. So Kevin Ball wasn't multi-talented, but he made himself a player and, and, and hats off to him. He had a fantastic career. 
But this guy on both levels for me hasn't got it. He hasn't got a modicum of talent at all, and he hasn't got a good attitude. So he's struggling big style, like as far as I'm concerned. Gareth's happy anyway. Somebody's agreeing with that. <laughs> Gordon, uh, who was the best and worst manager you played under at Sunderland, and why? Well, I've had a lot, to be fair. Um, it used to change every six months, to be honest. Like I, um, I think I worked out. I had something like, like eleven, I think. Um, the best I had was Dennis Smith. He was brilliant. Like him and Viv Busby together were fantastic. The worst thing he ever did was getting rid of Viv, and I understand why he did it, to be honest. But they were great together, and unfortunately that split them up as a, as a couple of lads because they were big mates anyway. But they they just bounced off each other unbelievably. I mean, it's not like it is now. We, you know, like you see the academy stuff and everything. There's more academy stuff now than the one there was. Like a a first team manager, a coach, a physio and a reserve team manager and a youth team coach, and that was it. Now they've got about 700 staff here, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. Um, but he was he was great at man management, speaking to people, giving people confidence. A bit like, I think, I'd, I'd equate him to somebody like Kevin Keegan. You know, we're all, we, we all, you know, didn't like what they did up there, but you could see what the guy had. He was, like, unbelievably un- enthusiastic, and, and people loved playing football for him, and that was the same. If you speak to anybody that's, that's worked under Dennis Smith, he'll tell you, tell you that. And the worst, by a country mile, and he made me captain, in fact. Well, that probably summed up what a prat he was anyway, <laughs> to be fair. But Terry Butcher was just embarrassing. Like, uh, he should, Did anybody not, know that name wasn't coming there? He's not quite high enough for him. Scotland again now. He's come down a bit, and he's like in Edinburgh now, and he was far enough out of the way before. He was in Inverness, wasn't he, or something like Can that. Can you tell us a story what Kevin Ball says about the Newcastle game, the Marines thing? Yeah. We went away, actually. We went away to Turnbury. We went away for a few days, and it was a great trip. We all had a fantastic time, a few drinks, and we wanted just to relax us, and we all had a good time. We were lucky lads. We stopped a fantastic place. So we came back, and, and it was the, we'd, we'd always stop in a hotel before we played the derby somewhere, whatever it was. So we woke up on the Sunday morning. Here he is. He's had his head skinned. He's, he's lobbed all his hair off, like... So we're all thinking, what the hell's he done? We get to the ground, he gives this fantastic speech about how he's like, we've got to be up for this game, this, you know, we're all right up for it, play for your badge, your family and all that, and all the lads are like banging on the door waiting to go out. And he goes, I've had it, I've had it cut because we're going to do, an, we're going to do like an, an SES like mission today, this is what I've come for, this is why I've had my hair cut like this, is that we're having an SES mission, and all the lads went, Peter Davenport ran about the pitch making aeroplane noises, ball, he said. <laughs> oh, I mean, he was just unbelievably bad, yeah. For somebody that had had such an unbelievably distinguished footballing career, somebody that, like, you couldn't have, like, hung your hat on it, like, you know, all the England things where his head's pouring the blood and all them things, you thought, you know, what a, what a great team player. He was just a complete opposite as a manager. He was just embarrassing, like, yeah. so everything he did went tits up, like, you can't do it in England, just go to Scotland. <laughs> exactly. Conor Wickham would do all right up there. I would, I. <laughs> Hatful. Remember Arnau went to Falkirk? Remember him? But who went? Arnau. Yeah. Oh, Remember him? I try not to, yeah. Well, he, he didn't have, Well, he had three minutes, didn't he? He got sent off. But I. I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you one. The best story I always tell is I'll tell you this one about all the bad times with Laurie McManamy, right? You've probably heard this one, but a few people who might have heard this one, but I was there, and I'm the one that remembers the story and told Gaty this story, right? So we were on a really bad run. We couldn't beat anybody. We were at the bottom of the, like, what was then 
League Two. It was Division One or League Two, and we were in League Two. So we played, and it was what Easter time, gorgeous morning, and down Roker. So we played. We were having like a practice game. He sets out what he did this day, particular day. We set cones out. We playing whoever we were playing on the Saturday, and we, this is the Friday before the game. So he sets the cones out. We kick off, and he says, well, "This is what I want you to do." He says, "I want you to." Kick off, he said, knock it back to Ian Esford, who was a goalkeeper then, big fat goalkeeper he was, big lad like. <laughs> so we kick off, Eric Gates passes to Dave Swindlers, passes back to Mark Proctor, and he'd set all these cones out, this is how they're going to play, like, so he's got two up front for them. We kick off, ball goes back, Mark Proctor back to George Burley, George Burley passes it back to the goalkeeper, hits one of the cones, goes in our net at the, the Roker end, we're 1-0 down, <laughs> and Big Lorry goes, fucking hell, we're even beating ourselves now, man. <laughs> And that's how it went at that time, to be fair. That's how it was going. We and could beat ourselves. I think that's a great, great place to leave it at. So I'd like to thank my guests for coming on. Gareth Barker, as always, who always joins me on, on the podcast. Um, Chris Young from the Sun and Echo, Gordon Armstrong, former player and editor of A Love Supreme. Mark McFadden, thanks for coming along. Thanks for your time. Hopefully we'll win next week. Eh? You can walk my you can wear my shoes Land a tug like me And be an angel too But maybe You ain't never gonna feel this way You ain't never gonna know me But I know you I'm singing in our pain can only get better. It can only get, it can only get, they get over me. You know, I know that things can only get
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.